The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. like to continue to meditate together on different aspects of evangelism. We've been trying to consider that from the book of Acts and looking from the book of Acts at the expansion of the kingdom of heaven, expansion of the kingdom of God and the church. And um, God guides us and directs us and burdens us and opens doors so we can uh, share the good news of the gospel with others, but primarily just simply being a witness. We've been trying to focus on that. Uh, Just being a witness of the things that you have seen and heard and and a willingness and and an excitement to uh, share God's blessings in your life with those that you come in contact with. I want to remind you again of uh, the three different aspects of evangelism we've been uh, trying to discuss together. Um, The first being living a godly life that is simply a a testimony and a witness and a light to others. Uh, It says in the Psalms, we live our life as a tale that is told. And, you know, something that is kind of sobering to meditate on sometimes, you know, you're not going to be the person that writes your obituary, right? Other people are going to write your obituary. So what's in the first paragraph? You know, you have then such and such died at this time and then you get, get to the logistics of, of that. But then there's always going to be two or three sentences in that first paragraph before you get to the survivors and the deceased and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and, and other people's impression of you, what's, what's in those two or three sentences in the, in the back half of that first paragraph of the obituary? And we certainly hope that it is a, a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we've talked about in honoring to the Lord, and uh, that's the foundational cornerstone of all evangelism anyway, because we have to uh, be authentic, and people will trust our witness because of the life in which we live. And the second aspect of uh, evangelism we've been trying to focus on is is relationship evangelism, your uh, your family and your friends, and it's, it's easy to share with those who we love and we have a confidence that they love us. It's, it's easy to share good things with those in that circle, of your family and your friends. <clears throat> Cornelius brought in his uh, kinsmen and his near friends for an excitement and an anticipation of what Peter would bring to him. <clears throat> We've looked at John chapter 1, and uh, Andrew immediately going and finding his brother Simon Peter to tell him that we found the Christ, and then Philip going and immediately uh, telling his close friend Nathaniel. And then the wild gallery in Mark chapter 5, go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you, right? <clears throat> and that's pretty easy. Uh, I think it's good to evaluate ourselves, and uh, we can all do better and evaluate our speech and I think that uh, the the Lord should be on the tip of our tongue and and if that's not the case we hope the Lord will bless us to do better uh, with those that are in our family and our friends but sometimes when we uh, use the word evangelism we we have a very <clears throat> very far out picture and and uh, we we think about people going to other countries to preach the gospel and things like that but I would say this second aspect of uh, evangelism, relationship evangelism, is really the primary means by which God grows his kingdom. And evangelism is not necessarily going to a far-off place uh, to interact with people for a couple days and then, and then going home uh, and then leaving them to themselves. Um, I wrote an article a couple years ago, it's still on Macedonia's website, of Philip, the pattern for evangelism. And the only person that's actually identified as an evangelist in the New Testament is Philip. Philip the evangelist. And he sets a pattern earlier on in his ministry. In uh, Acts chapter 8, he goes to the Samaritans 
and he preaches the gospel there to the Samaritans, and he baptizes them. And then the Spirit moves him to leave that, that booming revival there in Samaria and burdens him to go out into the middle of the Gaza desert, and he ends up ministering there to, uh, uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch, right, baptizing him. But then it, after uh, ministering to the eunuch, he went to multiple different cities, and it addresses those very quickly at the uh, latter part of, of Acts chapter 8. He went to all these different cities, and he preached the gospel, and then the Spirit somehow just kind of wafted him up a uh, very mysterious thing. The Spirit just kind of picked him up and then dropped him in uh, Caesarea. And then we don't know anything else about Philip <clears throat> until Acts chapter 21. And when we find Philip there in Acts chapter 21, he's still in Caesarea, okay? So uh, Philip, who is the, the only person in the New Testament that's identified as an evangelist, there was a brief period of his ministry, but it was a brief period. It's only for, we don't have uh, benchmarks of the exact time period, but it was only for a couple years where he was, at best probably, a couple years where he was in Samaria, and then he went to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch and went to these different cities. But then he, he settled in Caesarea. And if you look at the timeline there, he is still in the same city in Acts 21 that he was in in or that he settled in in Acts chapter 8. And if you look at the timeline of the book of Acts, those are separated by about 20 years, okay? And the reason why that's significant is because we think of evangelism as going to all these different places and, and uh, ministering to people that have never heard the gospel, and that's certainly true. But the majority of Philip's evangelism was actually in his local community. And we find, when we find him there in Acts chapter 21, we also find he has four daughters that prophesy. So you want to know where his main evangelism was for 20 years? It was in Caesarea ministering to his family and to his community, right? That's what evangelism is. Now, we praise God for open doors to, to go to places uh, that, that we have not had the influence of the gospel, and we sure are thankful for that. <clears throat> but Philip is the pattern for evangelism, and there was only a brief period of his ministry where he was traveling from city to city to city. Instead, the majority of his ministry was posting up in one local community, ministering to the people he came in contact with on a daily basis for 20 years there in Caesarea, and arguably most importantly, evangelizing and ministering to his family and to his kids, okay? Uh, that, that is arguably the most important evangelistic field is the, the children that God has blessed you to have. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, <clears throat> we're told to love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. And as we've discussed together, the things that we love are inevitably going to come out in our actions and in our, in our speech. So we love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And then just in our daily actions, daily actions, it will inevitably overflow. That's, that's a word I really want us to, to think about today. Overflow. Because... Um, it can be pretty intimidating to, to feel like that you have an obligation to speak to X amount of people that I've never had contact with and be a witness to them and to express the gospel to them. But actually, I think what we're going to see from the pattern in the New Testament is not that people just got up that day and said, okay, I'm going to talk to five different people. No, they were just so overwhelmed with God's blessings in their life that it just, it just oozed out. It just overflowed, and then everyone they came in contact with ended up getting wet because they were just overflowing, okay? And, and that's really where we need to be at. We, we just need to be overflowing of the love of God and overflowing with the joy of the gospel, and inevitably, it's just going to come out. It's just going to come out. So I just pray the Holy Spirit will fill us up more. <laughs> That's really what we need to pray for. Lord, uh, give, give me courage. Give me your spirit. But Lord, just, just fill me up. 
just fill me up to where I'm just bubbling out and overflowing. And part of that is that's how we're supposed to be on our daily basis. He says here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, which is the bar that we need to strive for. We fail every day and we'll never meet that standard, but we certainly need to strive toward meeting that. So if we love the Lord in that way, inevitably, the people that you love the most, your spouse, your children, those are your close friends, but especially your children right here, thou shalt teach them diligently <clears throat> unto thy children. And you need to be purposeful in doing that. Um, children will not, by osmosis, learn the Bible for sitting in a room 45 minutes a week. <laughs> right? Because most of those kids are going to be acting like kids, right? And they're not going to be sitting diligently and paying attention the whole 45 minutes. No, it, children do not, by osmosis of being in a room, um, <laughs> receive this information. No, you have to be purposeful to diligently teach them. Okay, well, how do you teach them? How do you teach them? Now, it's good to have a structure. It's good to have a manner. You know, it talks about Paul in the book of Acts. He said, as his manner was, he went to, to the synagogue. He had, a, he had a, a structure and he had a plan and he had a consistent routine of doing things. And you need to have a consistent routine of doing things too. Discuss God's word. That's one of the things um, I hope that you're utilizing it. Uh, tried to emphasize uh, one verse a month here at Macedonia and try to encourage you to meditate on that and to memorize it. Uh, but one of the main reasons, that's beneficial for us, but one of the main reasons I wanted to go ahead and lay that foundation for us now is because when we have children, I, I, I want us to learn God's word together as a family. And, and I want the focus for children that come up, not just in my home, but the children that come up in, in, in this church to understand, you need, you need to be taught how to use the sword of the Spirit, right? You need to be taught how you use God's Word to combat against all the temptations of Satan. And you don't want to waste those young years like I did watching TV and playing video games when I didn't fill my head with God's Word. I wasted so much time. And one of the reasons I wanted to institute that is, is so that in our, in our home, but in this church that we have people that children that are focused on God's word and meditating on God's word. It's not just about checking off a list of, of verses to learn. You hide God's word in your heart to where when you're in your weakest moment, God brings that thought back to your mind so you can pick up that sword of the spirit and smack Satan over the head with it, right? That's why you learn God's word. <laughs> is to protect yourself and be able to, to utilize that sword of the Spirit when you will inevitably be attacked by Satan, okay? So it takes diligence. It takes purpose. And then you, you need to have, I, I would encourage you to have a set period to discuss God's Word as a family every day. Just, if nothing else, reading it. Read it together. Read a, read a psalm. Read a chapter. Read a chapter from the Gospel of John, and sing a hymn and pray together. At a minimum, at a minimum. But most teaching does not get, because, you know, kids are kids, right? <laughs> They're not going to have a, a long attention span every day. What's the majority of the way that you're going to teach your kids? Action. Thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, you're going about daily activities of life, Right? And by the way, when you go about daily activities of life, there are going to be lesson points in the routine, mundane actions of life, right? You're going to see some little bitty thing, and instead of, you know, just ignoring it, use that as a proactive opportunity to tie that to something in God's Word, right? Use that as an opportunity to teach them God's Word in just your daily activities, and that should certainly be the case in our families, but that's just the way we should be on a daily basis with everyone we come in contact with, right? That's why it should just, it should just overflow. It should overflow. I want to read uh, <clears throat> in Psalm 144 really quickly. I, I noticed this this morning and meditating on the, the, the focus of 
of teaching and evangelizing our children, evangelizing our families. And there's many verses in the Psalms that, that speak of um, good, godly, mature children. Um, but this one really stood out to me this morning. Psalm 144 and verse 12, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth and our daughters may be as a cornerstone polished after the similitude of a palace. So you should be teaching and and ministering to your children to where a child that grows up in a godly home that's being uh, taught God's word should not be 18 years old and have the maturity of a 12-year-old, okay? No, that our sons may be grown up in their youth, that they would be mature, that they'd be able to make mature decisions. And these sisters, that is a pillar of the church, even as a young daughter. I mean, praise God for uh, many of these young ladies that are, becoming pillars in the church, even in their 20s. Praise God for that. You want to know the reason? They didn't just randomly show up at that that maturity level at that age. No, it was by the diligent, hard work of parenting, okay? And hopefully not just parenting, but the community of the body of Christ in the church that those older sisters in the church that were also ministering to them. We should have that community of teaching in the church. That our children would be mature, be mature at their age. Our sons, maybe as plants, grown up in their youth, and daughters, maybe as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of the palace. That our garners may be full, affording all manner of store. That our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. That our oxen may be strong to labor. That there be no breaking in or going out. And there be no complaining in the streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> so we want to uh, minister to those that are close to us, family and our friends, especially our children. And if the Lord hasn't blessed you with children, there are plenty of young people that you still have the ability to invest in and minister to, okay? <clears throat> and we need to utilize those opportunities. And again, as we've discussed before, we are already natural evangelists to those that are close to us, but what we want to focus on today is um, not necessarily that connection and that relationship and that environment where we are that comfortable. Because the third aspect is having a willingness and an excitement to uh, share God's Word with those who we don't know, who we don't know as well. And... That is a very, just in a natural sense, it's a very challenging thing to do, you know? And, and in my nature, I have a very, very timid spirit. Um, I'm, I believe to be a uh, adapted introvert. Um, I, I feel like that I've been put in positions where I need to be a little bit more extroverted, but boy, I'm comfortable just sitting in silence if you give me, <laughs> if you give me, uh, my opportunity. Uh, so my natural disposition is not just to every single person that walks by to pat them on the back and, and you know, be the politician shaking hands and talking to everybody I come with. That's not really my natural disposition. <clears throat> so this is a good bit out of my comfort zone too. So I hope that I can be instructed by this just as well as you can. Um, that... We just want to have a willingness to be used of the Lord, to have, to be willing to share the witness of what God has already done for us in our life. And we've talked about that before, right? Um, it's not that you need to have a goal to, I mean, if you want to do this, that's fine, but you know, you don't have to have a goal of uh, talking to five people today about the different aspects of justification, justification by grace, works, faith, the different aspects of eschatology and sanctification. You don't have to have a goal of talking. You want to know what you do? Just 
discuss your witness and testimony of God's blessings in your life. And as we've discussed before, that witness will be a testimony of grace. It's not a testimony of works. It's not a testimony of I've got everything together and God's really blessing me because I'm doing such a great job. No, I'm a miserable failure at everything I do. And for some reason, God just keeps dumping blessings on me. It doesn't make any sense. Our, our, our life is a testimony of grace, not of con- conditional obedience, that God's willing to, to give me this if I do this. Now, there's a place for that, right? We need to be obedient, and boy, there is many conditional blessings or chastisement that we have uh, in the kingdom of God based on how we, we interact. But listen, even the good things I do, we understand we can't take credit for that either. We got to give glory to God uh, that even the good things I do, I like more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace that was in me. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. I can't even take credit for the good stuff I do. Even the good stuff I do, I can only attribute it to God's grace, okay? Now, we've also discussed before that there's a specific calling in the ministry to preach the gospel publicly, okay? And that obligation has not ceased, and we need to do better in doing that. But not everyone is called to preach the gospel publicly in that way. But what I've learned in in my brief opportunities and and, uh, chances to try to sow God's word and sow good seed for those that we haven't come in contact with before, um, what I've learned is the percentages of people that you're going to have no relationship with and you just, you know, you hand out pamphlets or you you initiate a conversation, the percentage of people that are going to be converted from that is a pretty low percentage. Now, God, God uses it from time to time, right? Praise God for the the opportunities and the stories um, where God has used that. But I know me and Brother Joe have tried to uh, set up on Mississippi State's campus and orientation, tried to do that. Uh, COVID's got us a little backed up, but um, doing it uh, at least once a year. We got to get back in that routine, but doing it at least once a year there at orientation, you set up a table and hand out some pamphlets and Joe's, you know, Always trying to get some donuts to bring people in. You know, you got to entice them for something, right? Uh, you know, we're primitive Baptists. They're not just going to come talk to us unless we're offering donuts, right? Uh, but, you know, there's not been, you know, we've probably done that, I don't know, seven or eight times. And we had a good time. We had good conversations, uh, had the opportunity to hand out some, some pamphlets and invite people to church. Um, but there has not been one single person that has came to our church from doing that at the moment. (laughs) There's not a single person that's came from that. But I don't believe that that effort was in vain, though. I think that the Lord was honored in it. We had a good time doing it. And I hope people have a positive impression of primitive Baptist, you know? If If nothing else, if people can... Say they've met a primitive Baptist and they were not some weirdo. All of the weird rumors that are out there about primitive Baptists, they met a normal primitive Baptist that was a a normal, reasonable, loving, kind person. (laughs) And just in case anybody ever says anything weird about primitive Baptists, you know, there was one person I met and he seemed like a decent, nice guy, right? But I think what I've learned in doing things like that. And I think we need to pray about that. Hope the Lord opens doors for us to do it. He'll burden you to uh, do that in a certain way. But I think what I've learned is that those kind of opportunities are really more about just proving yourself faithful to where he'll bless you in another area, okay? So what I mean by that is like our anticipation is not by posting up Mississippi State's campus and handing out pamphlets that we're going to have 10, 15, 20 new members of Macedonia, right? That, that's not realistic. That's not realistic. That's not the goal. Instead, we're just, we're just sowing, we're trying to prove ourselves faithful 
to be faithful to sow seed. And if we prove ourselves faithful to sow seed, you know, the, the Lord, the Lord, God works in mysterious ways, I'll tell you. You prove yourself faithful to sow seed over here, you'd be surprised that he chooses to bless you over here. <laughs> now, I also don't want to mix and mingle the, the analogies too much, but there's also a principle where certainly you reap what you sow, right? You sow in this field, you reap in this field. But there can also be different segments of the same field that I'm sowing over here, uh, hopefully, in our case, sowing a little bit here on, uh, with some of the students of Mississippi State. But you know what? There may be another area over here where the Lord's going to ultimately bless because we're just simply proving ourselves faithful by being willing to do it, okay? And I believe that's a scriptural principle. <clears throat> if we prove ourselves faithful in the little things, well, that's who God's going to trust with a little bit more, right? And a little bit more, and a little bit more. So we want to prove ourselves faithful and be, have a willingness to sow seed as opportunities present. But the focus here in these stories that we want to emphasize uh, from the New Testament this morning is people not necessarily going and, and initiating um, targeted questions, because that, that's what witnessing is called in other denominations. You, you talk to someone you've never uh, interacted with before, and you have targeted questions to convince them that they're a sinner, which, you know, you, you got it right up to that point, right? But then those targeted questions then say, okay, but now you got to accept Jesus. you got to repent. you gotta, you got to have faith in Christ. And, and then, if you're willing to do that, God's going to give you eternal life. Well, Evangelism and witnessing is not a cleverly crafted set of questions to get people to make a decision for Christ. No, it's by you just sharing the good news and the blessings that God has given you with somebody you um, previously don't have relationship or contact with. And, you know, again, if we, as we kind of like think about our actions a little bit, you know, when we are really excited about stuff, it naturally comes out to people that, that we uh, don't know as well. You know, I think about people um, that are recently engaged or recently married, um, those that have recently had a baby or a grandchild. They, they got, you know, some new job. They're excited about their vacation. I mean, whatever it is, you'd be surprised how many of, if you really evaluated your conversations, how much of that kind of comes out in kind of the random interactions you have with people, right? Um, you know, I was thinking uh, this morning, we used to say, you know, I'm not old yet. At least I don't think I am. But at the same time, I can also say things have changed a lot in 20 years. <laughs> you know, so we used to say, we used to say, well, discussing things with people in the line at the grocery store. Well, I don't wait in the line at the grocery store anymore. I go self-checkout. You know, I go to, you know, pick up and delivery and all this stuff. So what I used to say was <laughs> uh, discussing these things with people in the line at the grocery store. And if there's a line, I'm not going to wait in that line. I'm going to go to self-checkout. I'm going to go somewhere else, right? But, but the point is, though, we'll, for old time stuff, for nostalgia's sake, yeah. we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, talk about uh, talking, talking to people in line at the grocery store, right? And, and, but every now and then, you'll have those kind of conversations with people. And then you'd be surprised how quickly, let's say, let's say a bride is getting married next week, right? You'd be surprised how quickly the, the topic of that spouse is going to come up in that conversation. Because, I mean, that, that's what's the most... That, that's the breaking news, hot topics in your life, right? So that's what's going to come up. That's what's going to naturally come up. And I think that we, we do have that ability, maybe more than we realize, to just have a, a willingness, a willingness for the Spirit to guide us and direct us and hopefully overflow us to where we, we can discuss the blessings that God has given us, even with those that, that uh, we don't previously have a relationship. And it's safe to do that with those that we already know and love, right? We, that's safe to do. That's why it's a little uncomfortable. 
That's why it's a little uncomfortable with those that we don't know, because now we're introducing this huge variable, right? I mean, you let your light shine. We've discussed this before. There are some people that are going to, there's a small group that are going to be attracted to it. The majority are going to be indifferent, and there's going to be a small group that doesn't like it. Well, you know, don't be terrified of that 2 to 5% that may not like it, right? <laughs> don't be terrified of them. Um, I'm trying to meditate on the, the best time uh, to deliver this message. Um, we've been going through the book of Acts and the aspects of the kingdom of God. And uh, one of the most significant aspects of the kingdom of God is that when we're doing things the way that we ought to in the church and in our daily life in our community, God will bless us. God will bless us if we're faithful. Um, in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. But one of the also guarantees of doing things the right way will be some degree of persecution. Some degree, and it may be ridicule, it may be just you being uncomfortable <laughs> in a group. Uh, you know, I'm not, you need to be wise as serpents and harm, harmless as doves, right? Uh, we need to have our grace uh, always seasoned with salt. That doesn't mean every time you just go off on people, start chewing people out when they say something that's not right. You know, sometimes the right thing to do is, is to quietly object, <laughs> right? And God has to give us wisdom. You know, those uh, verses in Psalms where it says in consecutive verses, Answer a fool according to his folly in the very next verse, or maybe vice versa. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Well, it takes a lot of wisdom to know, do you answer or do you not answer, right? Especially when you're acting with fools. You're interacting with fools. It's difficult to discern the right thing to do when you're acting with fools, okay? So there will always be, we need to understand that. Now, the blessings in the kingdom so far outweigh any degree of ridicule or persecution that we could have. But listen, that's part of the reason that we have that natural hesitancy to be willing to be proactive to do that is because we, we want to stay in a safe comfort zone. I do too. I do too, right? But the way that you, this is a bigger topic, but listen, you, you have a special fellowship with Jesus Christ when you have fellowship in his sufferings. Boy, I mean, it's great to have fellowship with Christ in worship, right? I mean, praise God, when we feel Jesus in the singing and we feel Jesus in the preaching of the, of the gospel and power and demonstration of the Spirit. But boy, there's another aspect of fellowship that you have with Jesus that you just don't have on the mountaintop in prosperity when every, everybody likes you. And by the way, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Well, if, you, if, if all men speak well of you, there's a good chance at some point you're putting your light under a bushel, okay? So it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to have a, a willingness to put yourself out and be willing to risk that persecution. But don't be afraid of that, though. Don't be afraid of that, uh, those uncomfortable moments because, because... You have a special fellowship with Jesus Christ in the midst of sufferings that you don't have in prosperity, okay? And that's a blessing to have fellowship with him. Okay, these examples here, let's go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. You know, <clears throat> these people, especially the leper and the, uh, the deaf and the dumb man that are, that are going to be healed, Similar to the blind man that was healed in John chapter 9 that we've discussed previously. They were just so excited to be healed of their malady that they wanted to tell everybody about it, right? And that, that was natural, right? It, it, was just, it was just overflowing. They were just so happy. And, and you know, if I'd been a leper and sent us out to a leper colony, I wasn't able to... Uh, tell my family bye. I've been I've been ostracized from my family for no telling how long, and there's no hope for you. In a natural life, there's no there's no cure for leprosy. 
except for the Son of God. Like there's no, there's no cure for leprosy. So I have no hope. And then I interact with Jesus of Nazareth, Mark chapter one. You have this leper that comes up to him and he, uh, he heals him, verse 42. As soon as he had spoken, be thou clean. He had spoken that, and as soon as he uh, spoke that, he was cleansed. And, and these very um, interesting uh, admonitions by Jesus, he tells so many people in his, in, in his ministry that he heals, is don't, don't tell anybody about it. Go, go to the priest. Now, I, I know why he told him to go to the priest, because that was in the law. You were healed of leprosy. You had to go to the priest to verify it. Okay, but he tells a lot of people don't don't really tell anybody about this, and we're gonna see that those are just that's just one command of Jesus that these people just couldn't obey, <laughs> right? And you know what? If I'd been healed of leprosy, I, I think I'd have a difficult time obeying the commandment of Jesus to not tell anybody too, right? I mean, I mean, let's just you know come up with some assumptions right here. Twenty years. 20 years of being removed from your family in a leper colony? And, you know, and not being able to enjoy your, you know, you're not able to travel at all. You stay in the same place and you're hanging out with a bunch of other people that are all lepers. I mean, I'm sure they were depressed all the time, right? And now all of a sudden I've been healed of my leprosy. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to brag on the one that healed me, Right? So then Jesus says, he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. See, thou say nothing to any man. Now go to the priest. Go to the priest and verify that. And then he says in verse 45, this leper, he went out and he began to publish it much. <laughs> to publish it much. And to, this is the phrase that I love, okay? To blaze abroad the matter blaze abroad the matter. He set a wildfire. You know, that's part of the reason, part of the reason why maybe Jesus said, you know, we, we only have a few sliver examples of these miraculous healings that Christ did in his ministry. And toward the conclusion of the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit tells us through John that if if we wrote down everything that Christ did in just the three and a half years of his ministry. The world could not contain the volumes of it. So we have a few examples of, he of healing that are highlighted by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, you know, had to be able to walk from day to day, you know, there, there, there was this group of people that followed him because of the loaves and the fishes, and you had this huge press in many instances that were around him, and he wasn't able to just, just walk normally, right? So he tried to kind of, I don't know if this is the best way to put it, he tried to kind of keep it as contained as possible, but guess what? People were just so happy they just couldn't obey Jesus. <laughs> they, just, they just couldn't keep it to themselves, right? But what I'm saying is, though, if, if one leper did this, if one leper did this and Jesus did so many amazing things that the world cannot contain it, then if everyone was going and telling everyone else about what was going to happen or what, what Christ had done for them, again, Jesus would not have been able to get a moment's rest in a natural sense, right? So he said, try to keep it as contained as possible. <laughs> and inevitably, they just weren't able to do that because they were just overflowing with gratitude and with joy and with, boy, you want to talk about good news, a gospel, right? I've been a leper for, you know, 20 years and, and this man named Jesus showed up, you know, similar to that testimony of the blind man. I've, I've been, a, been blind my whole life and I, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but one thing I know, I once was blind and now I see and the only reason why is because this guy named Jesus, right? He's the only reason. And, and, uh, this leper went and blazed abroad the matter, set a wildfire, set a wildfire, just because he was just so happy, <laughs> just so happy because of what Christ had done for him. Now, again, this is probably part of the reason why this is just one man, just one leper, um, one man that was healed. But this is part of the reason why Jesus maybe said, hey, don't go tell everybody, because just from him, 
It says, in so as much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Just from that one leper, he wasn't able to, to go and, you know, buy some fruit down at the marketplace. He wasn't able to perform normal activities just from the excitement of one leper seeing every person he came in contact with he just wanted to brag on Jesus. Blaze abroad the matter. Blaze abroad the matter. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. <clears throat> and here we have a dumb and a blind man. And Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. Be opened, he says in verse 34. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed. And Jesus told this guy too, he charged him that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal, they published it. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And the more he told them, they just said, we can't contain ourselves, right? And I love how, you know, like Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about, you know, exceeding abundantly above. And, and uh, here it says, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published. <laughs> I mean, they were just telling everybody, right? Which again, we would too. We would too. I mean, uh, again, the first per it didn't matter who it was. That 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 leper that had just been healed, this this blind and deaf man that had just been healed, it didn't matter who that first person was that showed up with you, the first person you saw after you'd been healed, it didn't matter if that was your worst enemy. You would tell him, guess what? <laughs> I've just been healed of leprosy. And, and the, the your enemy may say, well, I don't care, you know. But you're going to tell them anyway, right? Just because they were so happy to have been healed. And again, we see that same pattern uh, in John chapter 9 with the, blind, with the blind man as well. Okay, let's go to, uh, let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And Samaritan woman at the well. You know, very interesting, very interesting. Jesus says um, the, the commission of the disciples was that you only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? You only go to Jews. But Jesus, though, interacted with many Gentiles. The, the, the commission to the, uh, to the apostles was you go to the Jews. But it was, if I remember correctly, there, there are two examples of uh, great faith. Jesus commands people, great faith. Both of them were Gentiles. And these Samaritans were of the people of the northern ten tribes that were conquered by Syria. And then you have the intermarrying and the intermingling of all of that. Um, so the Samaritans kind of had a little bit of Jewish heritage, but had been corrupted. And a real Jew looked down on the Samaritans because they weren't, they weren't full-blooded, right? They, they weren't worshiping Jehovah God. Instead, they were worshiping this co-mingled uh, paganism and Jehovah that was all kind of mingled together and they didn't worship uh, in Jerusalem. They worked and worshiped in Mount Gerizim and all this. <clears throat> but Jesus must needs go through Samaria, right? Because there was a child of God that he needed to minister to right there. And uh, they uh, began to interact there at the well and again, uh, the, the disciples are very uh, surprised when they show up and Jesus is talking to this, a woman, but a very um, scandalous, ungodly woman um, by himself, you know, uh, that that would have been inappropriate during that culture for just a man to be talking to a woman by themselves, but especially a woman like this, you know, there was a... Um, a woman that washed Jesus's feet, and Simon said, "Oh, you know," whispered to to himself, "Oh man, if Jesus knew who this person was, there's no way that he would let her touch his feet." Well, Jesus knew fully who she was. He he knew way more than Simon did of just rumors about everything this woman had done. And a beautiful picture there where he says, "You know, who, who loves who loves more?" The person who's been forgiven much or the person who's been forgiven? Well, Simon said, the person who's been forgiven much, right? Well, she's been forgiven much. 
and she loves much, right? But that's the kind of reaction, that's the kind of um, reputation that this woman would have had in Samaria, especially with the menfolk, right? She turned out she'd been married five times and now she's living in sin with somebody who's not her husband. This is a woman that would have been very stigmatized and scandalized in the community that she lived in, right? That, this, this was not a woman that we really wanted to have any interactions with just in a public setting, but especially not one man being alone with her. And then Jesus tells her, look, if you knew what I was, what I could bless you with to drink of this living water, which he's talking about belief in Jesus Christ here, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, verse 13, verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, I want you to notice, we're talking about overflowing, overflowing. Notice this language in association with that. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life, okay? And what he's saying there is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, and you feel that power of justification by faith in your conscience and in your soul, and you are baptized, and you now feel the answer of a good conscience, and you feel that, that salvation and deliverance for all the burdens and, and shames and cares of this world, from that, there is something inside of you that is springing up into your daily actions, right? Springing out. They had this conversation about uh, her husband and living situation. They have a conversation about worship. And then, we'll just go ahead and skip to verse 25. She says, I know that Messiah cometh. You know, she had some understanding of the Jewish scriptures, that the Messiah was coming. And as a Samaritan, it seems like that she was looking for the Messiah. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he has come. And he will tell us all things. And then Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. And then the disciples come back and they find Jesus talking with this woman by herself. And they said, what seekest thou? Why are you talking to her? Now, she ends up leaving. Remember, she showed up to get water, but she left her water pot, you know? She forgot the rest of the itinerary for her today, her day, right? You know, we're so dictated by our schedules, and, you know, I got to be here. You know, you need to be punctual, you know, I'm all about being on time. I don't like being late now. But there are some things that disrupt our schedule. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I think she probably had plans for the rest of the day. And guess what? There was probably going to come a time later in the day where she'd get a little thirsty because she didn't bring back the water she planned to get then. But you know what? Her schedule for the rest of the day just got totally blown up because she had found the Christ. She'd found the Messiah. And, it, and yes, I showed up with the intention of bringing some water back home, but that, <laughs> that natural water doesn't matter anymore because now I'm tasting some of that living water, right? That natural water is not that important. You know, I can, get, I can get water later on during the day. But now I am tasting that living water springing up into everlasting life. I'm tasting that and feeling that in my soul. Who cares about this natural water? <laughs> so she left her water pot. And you know what? There were men. Boy, she, I guarantee she had such a bad reputation in this community, especially with the men. And there, those were men that if they saw her on you know, similar to that Samaritan that was down in the ditch, you know, they passed by on the other side. I'll tell you, if they saw her coming, they, they go out of their way to, to distance themselves from her. Those were men that they would have never initiated a conversation with her, never, because she had such a bad reputation in the community. But you know what? None of that mattered. She broke a cultural and societal barrier and stick. She broke the rules. I mean, it would have been inappropriate for a woman to just show up to a bunch of men and start, start uh, telling them, so especially this woman, 
the scandalous, sinful woman that had a horrible past. But she wasn't concerned about offending the societal norms of that day because she had just found the Son of God, right? She wasn't concerned about uh, what other people thought about her in that moment. She, She showed up to men who would have looked at her and had such a horrible view of her, and those were the people that she said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know, she didn't go home, and if she had friends or that that live-in man that she was living with, she didn't go home and tell them. She told people who would have despised her, who would have looked down upon her. But it didn't matter what they thought about her in that moment. Why? Because she was so overflowing of the fountain of living water, right? Because she found Christ. Come and see. We talked about that on Wednesday night. Come and see a man. Come and see a man. It told me all things that ever I did. Okay, let's get down to verse 39. And notice this. Again, sometimes the light can shine so much brighter under a dark backdrop, right? This is the woman that because, you know, we talked about the foundational cornerstone of evangelism is you living a godly life where people um, believe your testimony. Well, they would not have believed, and under normal circumstances, they wouldn't have really believed anything she had to say, right? Because of how ungodly she lived. But something was different about this situation. No doubt the Spirit was moving because just from her testimony and the black drop of the, her life of, of living in sin, just from her testimony saying, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, just because she said so. Isn't that something? That people believed on Christ because of the testimony of someone that they wanted nothing to do with, right? But... You know, police officers and other people are trained in interrogation technique. They can, you know, there, there's a lot of physical signs when people are lying. But, you know, you can tell when people are being authentic. You can tell. You can tell. And I'll tell you, they could tell something was different. They could tell this was not just some lady that was conniving and had some scheme. They could tell all over her face, all over her disposition, that this was authentic. And it's amazing that there were people that were converted to believe on Christ just from this woman's testimony that was, I I believe we could say, was probably universally despised in her community. But people were converted to believe on Christ because of her excitement to not care about what people thought. (laughs) And then when other people came, when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them both there two days, and then many more believed on him because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the Lord. But you want to know why they came out to see him? You want to know why they came out? Because of her. Because of her. The only reason they were stirred to come and see was because somebody said, Come and see. How about that, right? The only reason why they came out was because she was just overflowing with the fountain of living water so much. You know, like I said, um, we let our light shine. I don't think this woman had let her light shine in the community. If she had a light, boy, it was covered all up with a bushel, okay? But I believe people could see there was something different about this light that she's shining today, right? And again, people were attracted to that. People had a desire to seek that. <clears throat> um, we won't turn over here, but, uh, but there are examples, um, certainly of, of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, okay? Um, we, we've talked about him being called to be ready always to give an answer 
of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear when you're called in, in a judicial setting. Well, you know, Paul preached the gospel. He let his light shine. He stirred up a lot of trouble by simply saying Jesus of Nazareth was dead and he was resurrected, and that, that caused a lot of stirs. So he had a lot of opportunities, particularly uh, Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. Go read them on your own. Especially beautiful language in Acts chapter 26. I'd love to go there, but we'll, we'll defer that due to time. But when he was called upon, though, similar to Stephen, he, he was letting his light shine. He was ministering his community. Many people didn't like it. And he was called upon to give a public defense of what he believed. And what did he do when he stood up there? You know, he didn't give... You know, he was Hebrew of the Hebrews. You know, he wrote all of the precise, technical, doctrinal points in the book of Romans and all throughout the New Testament, right? Well, what did Paul do when he was given that audience? He simply said, this is my experience with Jesus Christ. Now, his experience was, I saw the resurrected Christ, right? His, his, his commission was the same as the rest of those apostles, the reason why I'm going to allow you to see me as a resurrected Savior is so that you can be a witness to tell other people what you've seen and heard. And he saw the resurrected Christ. So every time that he was called up in a public setting, you know, Paul was a preacher, and he knew all of those deep theological points, right? But what did he do when he was called up in a public setting he simply told his experience, right? He gave a witness of this is what Christ has done in my life. And you know what? The experience is always the same. Some people mocked. Some people rolled their eyes. The majority were indifferent. And then you had these Jews that followed him around everywhere and wanted to kill him with every fiber of their being. <laughs> you know, that's the disposition. When we have that that boldness and willingness to share uh, don't get discouraged when the majority are indifferent don't get discouraged that's, that's the natural allocation but listen if Jesus Christ was willing to leave the 99 to go get that one sheep then we need to be willing to share for that one sheep that can be attracted to the light right don't ignore it don't forget don't worry about that one guy over here that's not going to like you nobody's going to Everybody's not going to like you anyway. Just get comfortable with that. Now, live in a godly way, right? You know, don't be a jerk to everybody. But, I mean, they need to not like you for the right reasons. But, but get comfortable with the fact that not everybody's going to like you. Okay? And, and have a boldness. And, and, and when I say boldness and courage, those are not natural, uh, those are not natural attributes to me. <laughs> but I'll tell you, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you know, if you would if you would have told if you would have told that Samaritan woman that she was gonna go and tell the men of the city that despised her anything that morning, she would have said, You're crazy. I'm not we talking about, I'm not gonna do that, right? But she was just so filled with the spirit that that living water was springing up out of her. It was just overflowing, it was springing up out of her. And I pray that the Lord will turn up the pressure in that, in that spring of living water in our soul. It'll just come out, right? It'll just, it'll just bubble out and overflow, and other people can be blessed and ministered to, again, not because of we have a cleverly crafted story to tell people. No, just, just allow the Spirit to guide your mind and have a willingness to be a witness to other people. And he said there, we didn't read it in John chapter 4, but he said, look, they say it's four months to harvest. You know, they showed that they thought their commission was just to the Jews. They're in a, a city in Samaria. We don't have any, there's no good that we can do here in Samaria because these are just dogs, right? They're just dogs. We're not called to preach to them. And he said, listen, you need to be reminded, the fields are wide unto harvest. The fields are ready. The fields are wide unto harvest. And I'll tell you, the field is so much more wide unto harvest than I think we realize. And you never know how the Lord can take one little bitty comment, one little bitty interaction. And you know what? They may never join Macedonia Church, but it may minister to them. 
and be exactly what they need in that moment. And you know what? If that happens, then you've honored the Lord in that interaction. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's be faithful to so, to the best of our ability, and blaze abroad the good news that we've been blessed with in Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.